Let's hear God speak to us in his word in Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him, to the man. Then the man said, this at least is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Jamie. Hey, good morning. I am Ben. If I haven't met you yet, I'm the lead pastor here and one of several leaders. I'm gonna ask you to do something that uh, is probably gonna make you feel a little, unco- I don't know if it'll make you feel uncomfortable or not, but this is officially a fall break crowd. And uh, some of y'all are still in fall break naps. And so I'm gonna ask you, uh, go ahead, get some coffee, you know, take the whole pitcher home uh, to your seat if you want. And uh, man, let's get awake. Let's, let's work on today, like uh, being active listeners because we've got a lot of really important stuff to cover here. And I want to make sure that we absorb it. There is a difference between just listening or just sitting through and being an active listener. So like uh, awaken your heart. Uh, The Bible talks about letting the the eyes and ears of your heart be open. And so let's not just uh, hear a thing, but let's hear a thing. Okay. I mean, can we do that? So I'm going to pray that for you. And then I want you to pray for me. We got a lot to jump into. So let me pray real quick. God, we do ask that you would help us be active listeners today. Uh, I pray, Lord, we pray that uh, the weather and the fall break and the time and the whatever, like, would not influence us. We pray that we would hear uh, your word. And we, we just ask, Lord, that it would penetrate the human heart, that it would be a sharp sword that divides our heart rightly, and that we would divide the word of truth rightly today. So help us to understand this book. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're preaching, if you're new to the church, we're preaching through the book of Genesis. I'm going to give you a quick overview of where we got to because we got a lot of work to do today. In Genesis, God, his name is Elohim in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Elohim means powerful, one, true God, but also it's a plural word. So it's not just one God, it's one God in three persons. It's the Trinity. For any of you that study the Bible have been around here long enough to know Uh, We talk about the Father, Son, and Spirit a lot. That's one God and three persons, but one person. And another thing we're going to talk about is uh, let's be okay with the word mystery because you're one person in one person, and it's hard for us to comprehend how the Trinity can even function. So let's be okay with mystery. We're going to need to know uh, today. We're going to be okay with that word because there's lots of things that we may want to know about the way God operates But the fact is, is no matter how much you try to be or no matter how much you think you need to be, you're not God. Somebody say, you're not. You're not God. You're not God to your kids. You're not, you don't have control. You have not ordered your world. 
uh, in a way that like benefits you? You ever wonder why things just spin into chaos? It's like, well, part of that is because you're just not God. And so we need to actually look to God to know the things that God knows and be okay with the word mystery. But the good news is, is there's a lot of things that he's given us to know. It's found in this book. This is the word of God. It's not the word of you. It's the word of God. And so what we're studying right now is the way that God has formed the earth, the way that God has created all things. The book of Genesis, literally translated, means the book of beginnings. And Elohim, God, one and three, three and one, is creating everything by himself. He had no help. He didn't need help. He didn't create things because he was bored. He had eternally existed. It's not like he all of a sudden, in eternity, said, you know what, I've been doing this for 3,487 years. I'm bored. That's not what happened. God was completely satisfied. God's never been bored. God's never been asleep. (laughs) Think about it that way. The Bible says that he's constantly awake, constantly working. God didn't just, out of boredom, create the heavens and the earth. He did it out of love. So the one sole creator who is also loved, the Bible says that God is love, not that he has it to give, that he himself is love. He creates out of himself, Elohim, speaking things into existence, forming and then filling. The Bible uh, parallels these two types of things. It's, it's, It's seven days, it's six days of creation and then one day of rest. But in those those five-ish to six days, God is both forming, which means like the earth, the, 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 the temple of the earth, a, a place for his rest. He's forming uh, the sky. He's forming the sea. And but then he parallels with filling it. He fills, he forms the sky, and then he fills it with lights, with uh, one to rule the day and one to rule the night, the sun and the moon. And then he forms the sea, and then he fills the sea with fish and with whatever else he fills the sea with way back when. He's forming and filling. And then we get to this place where he, the climax of his creation is, is man. God himself now creates man out of the dirt. It's the only time, everything else that God speaks out, um, man, he gets his actual hands into the dirt and create, forms man from the dirt. And everything else is just made. Man was created in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God breathes. God uses his own luck, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about God breathing. He breathes life into Adam. And man, man doesn't need more than one act. Man is, he, he forms man and then he breathes, he fills him. So you've got the forming and filling of in separate ways, separate days of the earth but then in man, both forming and filling in the same act. Needless to say, man is special. It's the prize of his creation. And today we're going to talk about uh, certainly a hot topic. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the nature in which he creates man. The Bible says in male and female he created them. We're going to talk about the reasoning for God creating two genders, but for one purpose. To glorify him and enjoy him forever to fill the earth and subdue it, the earth as a temple for God's presence, man and woman, to fill it and lead worship. So there's a few things to note as we approach the topic of biblical gender and creation and worship. 
one, it's possible that there are several in the room today with pain, confusion, and heartache as it pertains to gender. We are in a confused world. There's an author of confusion. It's not God. Two, it's also just as possible that there are several who genuinely want to know how to approach this from a biblical perspective, which is always both truth and love. And I think if we listen today, we'll get it. So uh, uh, real quick, five things for your heart and for me as your pastor. God loves you. God loves you. You were made out of his love. Two, again, we are approaching a mystery, that of human beings. Notice how the Bible describes that as mankind, human beings. We're approaching the mystery of that and then also the mystery of the ramifications of the fall. Three, our church is a safe place to doubt, to be skeptical, to have questions, to ask them. If you have questions, please ask them. You won't be turned away. There's no such thing as a bad question in this church. You might have doubts. This is a safe place for you to have doubts. Have doubts. Um, I'm not telling you to go and seek doubts, but I am telling you that it does us no good in the American church to just act like we are not allowed to be skeptical because it's actually on the other side of skepticism and on the other side of doubt that we come to arrive at the truth, a real truth, not just a fake truth where we're just faking it and we go, Yes, I believe these things, but we've never done the investigative work to know if our heart truly believes it. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. If you have questions, please come and ask them. Also, I'm not gonna get to it all today. I promise you. I, one buddy point, pointed out there was a prominent Christian uh, uh, philosopher, teacher, spent like 129 weeks on this one topic. 129 weeks, that's a long time. I'm not going to spend 129 weeks starting today. And then finally, God creates male and female in his image. Imago Dei, we are immortal beings with deep purpose and calling. I like the way that C.S. Lewis talks about our humanity. He says this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom you joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You were created in the image of God. You were made as an immortal being. Your gender is part of you down to your soul. Male and female, down to your soul. You are forever in eternity be either male or female. There's no change to that. So let's jump in. Genesis chapter two. Uh, we'll start with chapter one, verse 27 and 28. The first thing I want you to see is when God creates man and woman, there is unity, the unity of man and woman. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Male and female made in the image of God different than every other creature. We were created for several things. We were created for relationship with God. We were created for relationship with each other, male and female, and also others, men with men, women with women. We were created for friendship is what I'm saying. 
We are also created to reflect God's nature and glory and to represent him. <clears throat> we were made to rule, reign, have dominion, subdue, and fill the earth with God's glory through worship. Both male and female share the same level of creative intent. They both share the same level of intricacy. Both have the same level of dignity, value, and also of worth. Neither one of them stand in hierarchy over the other. Male, extremely, eternally valuable. Female, extremely, eternally valuable. But the problem is this. The problem is what, when men and women forget their unity, when men and women forget their design, why they exist, who made them and for what purpose, darkness creeps in. Confusion creeps in. And the Bible says that there is an author of confusion and it's not God. We get confused about what we're supposed to do in the way that God has created us and it leads to wickedness and distortion. It's distortion about our place with each other and God. And then out of distortion and confusion and darkness comes things like subjugation and objectification and misogyny. We get a world where men no longer protect, but they dominate. And this is not just true for today. This is true for history. I mean, I'm going to read you some stuff that was written by some of the most prominent philosophers and thinkers of all time. Plato said, is a worse fate for a man, worse fate for a man is reincarnation as a woman. The worst type of fate for a man is reincarnation as a woman. That was Plato. Aristotle, females are imperfect males, accidentally produced by the father's inadequacy or by the malign influence of a moist south wind. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said, the woman is inferior to man in every way. The Quran said men have authority over women because Allah has made one superior to the other. As for those from whom you fear disobedience, admonish them and send them to beds apart and beat them. Sadly, it's not just other pagan religions or other world philosophers. This has also been true of some Christian thinkers throughout history. Christian men and women, particularly men, who were more influenced by culture than they were the Bible. One said this, Tertullian, you are the devil's gateway. You are the unsealer of that forbidden tree. You are the first deserter of the divine law. You are she who persuaded him whom the devil was not valiant enough to attack. You destroyed so easily God's image on account of your desert, that is death, even the Son of God had to die. This man is a Christian commentator, thinker, historian. He's blasphemous. Interesting how a man can be so devoted to the Bible and be known as it being devoted to the Bible that he himself can miss the Bible so much. It's tragic. <coughs> When we lose the way that God has designed us as male and female, we have all kinds of evil, objectification, sub, subjugation, misogyny, 
And it's not just ancient, it's also modern as well. Let me give you a few stats. Violence, abuse, and objectification of women. There are $3,000 per second spent on pornography. Abortions, uh, sex and gender specific abortions are greatly outweighed with little girls and women. The UN Population Fund says at least 143 million women and girls are not alive today due to sex-selective abortions. That's 143 million. U.S. government states one in three women have experienced severe physical violence from an intimate partner. One in three. In the Afghanistan war between 2001 and 2012, this is crazy, there were 6,000 488 American troops killed. American women murdered by a male partner during that time is 11,766, almost double. It's a very real situation in our world. Just quickly, women in the room, if you're in a abusive uh, relationship in a situation that you feel trapped in. Uh, we are here for you. We want to help you. We have helped multiple. We'll keep you safe and we'll get you to safety. Please come and see us. Men, 1 Peter 3 says this to you that if you don't honor your wives, even your prayers will be hindered. You will have the God of the universe, Elohim, who spoke the mountains actively against you. tragic, it's terrible, objectification, misogyny, subjugation. How do we respond? That's the question. How are we supposed to respond? How does the world respond? They do respond. We, even in this room, some of us have responded this way. I mean, there, there are ways that we have to, you know, we get upset, we get mad. We should rightfully, there's righteous indignation, there's justice that has to be served. You might feel it in your bones right now, like I do, to go like, this is wrong. We gotta do something. How do we respond? What has been the response is reactionary, a type of feminism that is radical. That's the culture's response, but the problem with reactionary, radical feminism is it only creates more disunity and distance from the Bible. And although feminism has its roots in justice towards injustice, it doesn't get to the point of the change of the human heart that we need to be different people. The only way we get there is by submitting ourselves to the word of the living God. So the fact is this, to put it simply, is that we need Jesus. We need Jesus. God is the one that created male and female. In his image, he created them. And any idea that promotes competition or enmity or dishonor or disunity between genders is not from God at all. We live in a world where it's widely accepted that all males are the problem. <laughs> That's what a radical type of feminism would say is that we just need to do away with males. One, one prominent writer said this, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Another popular writer, this is real. This isn't like somebody... A neighbor said, this is a popular opinion. Has anyone considered funding an empirical study as to whether killing all men on average will make women safer? 
killing all men. I think discounting 50% of the image of God as unneeded and toxic is detrimental to both men and women. And it is evil for young boys. God's vision for both men and women is one of profound unity and equality. It settles us into honoring, loving, and serving each other as equal image bearers of God. Men and women were created for great unity. Second thing I want you to see is this. Men and women are also diverse. First is they were created for unity. The second is men and women are diverse. They're equal, but not interchangeable. We share the same image, but we carry unique glory in our separate genders. 2.15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam was created, was made, was formed outside of the garden, but then placed in the garden. And he was given mission right away to work and keep. This is the same language that would have been used for a temple priest. Work and keep the temple. He's telling Adam as a man, work, to work, to cultivate the ground, to keep, to keep watch, to be a protector, to be a builder. Work and keep. It's a priestly role. Adam is to guard, defend, keep watch, protect uh, his garden, his wife, his kids, his home, and his world, which is actually God's world. Man created to protect, created to work. It's also why elders are a fatherly role, men who oversee. Adam was created first, you understand? Like God made Adam first, but it had nothing to do with the nature of his creation It had nothing to do with the equity in his creation or whether or not he was better just because he came first, but it had everything to do with the way that God created him to function, to go first, to be the one who initiates, to lead. And for him to be the first in accountability. In the fall, you have Eve who is tempted But Adam is with her. Now Eve eats of the fruit first and then she gives to Adam. But who does God come to first? He comes to Adam. He expects him to live in the way that he's designed him to live, which is to pursue and not be passive, to give accountability for his family and for himself. Ironically, Adam in every way, um, says no to the way that God created him. He throws his wife under the bus. The woman that you gave me (laughs) told me to eat of this tree. Man and woman are diverse. They have different roles. The third thing I want you to see is this. Uh, The men in the room are gonna say amen. Man needs woman. (laughs) Man needs woman. And not just, not just males, mankind needs woman. In 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God has created the heavens and the earth, and after every day of creation, he says, it is good. This is the first not good that we see in the Bible. It is not good that man be alone. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to, to fall upon the man, 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, um, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So what's happening here is God has given Adam dominion over every beast of the field, over every fish. And he is literally naming them in his authority. Uh, actually, the scene is God causing them to come up out of the ground. And they're just walking by. It's like, okay, deer, uh, dog, duck. Yeah, it's probably good that God didn't ask me to name them. I'm just, you know, four letters is all I need. Um, but I, it's a weird scene, but he can't, he, God says it's not good that man, he's, the first statement, it's not good that man be alone. And then he asked him to name all of the animals and he said there's not a helper fit for him. So he, it's like, I don't even know this scene. I'm afraid I'm gonna say something blasphemous, but it, you know, just imagine it's like, well, no, the dog, um, the, this is, none of this is going to work. I need something different. So what God does, God causes a deep sleep to come on him. And God then, so this is interesting because God forms uh, Adam out of the dirt. You understand like the world that he created and gives him his image, but God forms Eve out of his image. So he makes man with his image, but then he forms Eve with a level of intricacy and detail out of the image bearer, which is significant for several reasons, but it's because of the role that God has given women in the kingdom of God and in your life, men. He, the word helper is ezer, which means literally lifesaver. He said, I need, he, he, he needs a helper fit out of his side fit for him that word ezer the word helper is used 21 times in the old testament several times in the new testament but um it's used out of 21 times two times it represents woman 19 times it represents god god our helper now look women in the room you are not god don't go getting any ideas but what you are is you image God in a unique way that's different than man. Let me ask you this, is God our protector? Yes, according to the Psalms, he's our defender. He provides shade for us. He's a strong tower that we run into. Um, is God a cultivator? Yes. Is God a watchman? Yes. But also, is God a helper? Is he the wonderful counselor? The Holy Spirit, our helper. Jesus said, it's better that I go because if I don't, the helper, I won't send the helper. When Jesus leaves and sends to heaven, he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit. Same word. The word Eve, the name Eve. Uh, Adam names all of the animals, but he calls her something. So he's exercising dominion over them but to her, it's partnership. He's not naming her. He calls her Eve. Adam in Hebrew is, is ish, ish. Her name is ish, ash. It's like him, but different. The name Eve itself means this. It means life giver. It literally means that, a giver of life. So where ish just means man, 
Guys, we got the short end of the straw on names. Eve, the helper, God, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. I mean, golly. Man, and then all of that. God is forming and filling. In 3.20, he says this, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. God is both forming and filling, and he forms man, fills him with his word, but then the same thing with man and woman. He says, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it to both man and woman his viceroys on earth. We were created equal, man and woman, but we have different design and function. And one goal is to image God. Fourth thing I want you to see is man and woman are not independent. We are interdependent. We need each other. God made man with needs. Mankind needs God. Man needs woman. Woman needs man. We need him to know God. Isolated Christianity just does not get us there. But the devil loves isolation. This is why he pulls you towards isolation when he's trying to get at you and believe lies. God, the creator, Elohim, created you for each other. He created you with a purpose. It's not good that man be alone, mankind. So what happens now is in chapter two, Verse 22, God is now about to form woman from the rib of Adam. It says, in the rib that the Lord uh, God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and, and then brought her to the man. He escorts her to him. And then, of course, uh, Adam breaks out into poetry. It's the first, this is poetry's invention right now. It's a song. It's a poetic song. He says, then the man said, at last... This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Ish-Ash, because she was taken out of Ish-Man. In the first wedding, this is really cool. In verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, uh, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We see that again in Ephesians. Naked and not ashamed, Adam bursts into song. Finally, she fits him, but she is not him. Woman is not man, and man is not woman, but they are the perfect complement. She comes out of his side, the place of protection, the place of help. He, God then, as the father of the bride, escorts her down to Adam and officiates the wedding. They share in the glory and image of God. It's a beautiful sight. Men and women are both needed in their totality and unique genders to form and fill. The world needs both. Not as independent, but as interdependent, as complementary to each other. Man created for a purpose, woman created for a purpose, and ultimate needs of each other. First Corinthians 11 says this, nevertheless in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. 
I love this because this doesn't allow either one of us to get the other. I got you, see. You wouldn't even been born if it wasn't for me. <laughs> it's like, no, all are from God. What happens is when we lose the diversity and interdependence of man and woman, we've lost the purpose of our being created. Men are good. Women are good. God loves men, God loves women, and Satan hates anything that God loves. That's why he confuses us. He's the author of confusion. G.K. Chesterton said this, this is kind of funny. If I set the sun beside the moon, and if I set the land beside the sea, and if I set the town beside the country, and if I set the man beside the woman, I suppose some fool would talk about one being better. Beautiful man and woman interdependent in unity. Problem is, is that this kind of bliss doesn't last very long. What we have next is the reason why we're so confused today. It's the fall of man and woman. <clears throat> we're gonna take two weeks to preach on this next week and the next, but I wanna see it today so we can understand what happened. In chapter three, you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of, of life. God says, don't eat of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, it will, you will die. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, this is this, the serpent has tempted her and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. Now we have a severing of the design of God, a distorted 180 distortion for Eve, the life giver and helper, and Adam, the protector. Now the helper, instead of helping her husband not sin, she helps her husband sin because of the fall. Now the man who was supposed to protect her from all things in the moment that she needed it the most was the one who abdicated and became passive and took of it. Their unity is broken with each other and their God. Then the eyes of both were open. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They were now all of a sudden ashamed, ashamed of themselves, ashamed of each other. Hiddenness replacing vulnerability. Verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord got a walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you? God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man who was created to have communion with God with his wife has now done the exact opposite. He's now afraid of the one that he was created for. And now he sees himself as naked and he, she sees herself as naked and you understand what's happening is the genders are now disrupted. Instead of unity, instead of me seeing you as my wife that God has given me, this woman that God has given me to worship and to model and, and to, to unify me to God and for her to see him as like protector, this works. This works, Adam. Look how much we work together all for the sake of communion with God. Now, because of their sin and rebellion, they see each other as something different. He's now shame. I see you as naked. I see you as, and I see myself as that way. And 
Let me hide from you now. And not only that, let me hide from God. So now, because of the fall, genders are at war. And we're hiding from God. In the cool of the day, God comes and expects Adam to be with him. He says, where are you? And Adam says, I'm hiding from you. I'm afraid of you because why? I'm naked. And then the unthinkable thing happens. Adam, who was created to protect her, created to be a watchman, to be watching out, to be cultivating, to be standing strong and leading his family and protecting his family. Now what happens is this, is he throws her under the bus. Which to be honest, there are some of you in the room today probably that have experienced this in your own life, men. That because of the fall, you're so quick to throw even your wife under the bus to say it was not me, it was her. Adam does that. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, hopefully she will take it on. Hopefully she will be responsible. What is that that you have done? The woman said, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. So just complete blame shifting by everybody. Instantly they're at war. They're separated from each other by their sin, shame, and brokenness. And their diversity is now a curse. And God actually does curse. He cursed the ground. He says, now because you created to work and keep Adam, it's just going to be harder now. There's going to be thorns and thistles. And you're going to work hard and it's, it's not going to work. Can you imagine a world where you just go to pay the bills and you've always got the money to do it? It's like we went to work this week, we've got the money. It worked. Can you imagine a world where it's like, you know, I don't know. For me, I talk about all the time where you go to cultivate the ground or you go to farm or whatever. It's like, okay, I put the seed down, I put water on it and it grew and we made money. Or we can now eat. It just always works. Can you imagine? That's what the garden of, was like before the fall. But now, because of the fall, there's thorns and thistles. The curse damages both genders individually. The life giver will now experience immense pain. The life giver will experience immense pain in childbirth. But it's not just about bearing children only. It's about the thing that she loves, how she gives life to everybody around her. It's going to be hard now. And people are going to say no, and they're going to reject her. We live in this reality today, loneliness and shame and addiction and lust and infertility, broken relationships and broken homes, all because of the curse. Genders have both been uniquely affected by the fall. So, I mean, that's why we get Misogyny and radical feminism. Both affected. That's why we come up with ideas like, shouldn't we just kill all men? I mean, come on. How do we get there? And now what do we do about it? I mean, where is the hope? I, I explain it like this, like I, sometimes I have good dreams, for the most part, I don't like to have great dreams, and maybe you do, but I, if I have a dream, it's, there's always some sort of like anxiety attack, uh, attached to it. 
I'm always like the guy that dreams about uh, totally forgetting to go to church on the day that he was supposed to preach. <laughs> you, know? you ever have dreams like that where they're like nightmares where you go like, uh, I was supposed to show up to work this week and I dreamt that I didn't show up for a month. Anybody ever dream that way? Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. Y'all look at me like I've got three heads up here. They're more nightmares than dreams. So the, my question is, is like when we do have a dream that's a good dream, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, but rarely for me do I wake up and go, that was wonderful. I hope that everything I just dreamt would come true. But it is true for us today. It's like if we look at hope, hope has to be the dream that is a reality. There is hope. Is it, are we just destined to just brokenness and darkness and futility and disruption? Are we destined to that? Or do we have hope? There is a curse. God said something unique to the serpent. He said this. In the curse, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He tells that to the serpent. Now, God is not like saying this to snakes. He's saying this to the great deceiver, that there will be a bruising that happens. There will be enmity between you two, but ultimately, you will be bruised, serpent. Story of Christianity, the story of the Bible, is one story of hope and redemption and it's actually a love story. There's a picture I wanna show you guys that I love. Um, it's an Advent picture, but you have on the left, you have Eve. She's holding an apple. She's covered in shame. The snake, the serpent is wrapped around her leg. And then you have Mary who's pregnant on the other side offering comfort to her. And the snake that's wrapped around Eve's leg is being crushed by the heel of Mary. Mary is pregnant with the Messiah. Through a woman comes the curse. Through a, another woman comes the birth of the one who will break the curse. So the Bible says, so through Adam, all die. Through Christ, all be made alive. So the story of hope is simply this. We're not bound to a, wor a world of chaos or darkness of death. We're not bound to be in this cyclical thing where we just die and, the, and we just are annihilated or we whatever it is. There's, we even lose our memories. There's like no hope and darkness for us. We're not bound to that. There is redemption and literally to be redeemed. We're in the middle of a great story of love and redemption for mankind. Our genders, our relationships, when redeemed, point us to the redemption in Christ. Ephesians 5 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. It's quoting Genesis, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and Paul says it clearly. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. The mystery, the redemption of man, what marriage is even in itself points to Christ in the church. And the mystery is this, is that Jesus is a better Adam. He does the stuff that Adam could never do or that we thought maybe he should, he should have done. He should have said, he should have protected his wife. He, he should have said no to that. He should have said no even on her behalf to the fruit. 
He shouldn't have hid from God, but what he does in the garden is he does his own thing. And Jesus is a better Adam because he does say no to temptation. He's tempted first. Before his ministry goes out in the wilderness, he's tempted with every type of thing, with more than just fruit. And Jesus says no to all the things that the enemy tempted. And then in a garden, different than Adam, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. He's a better Adam. And the mystery that is describing here in Ephesians 5 is about Jesus being the one who's able to protect us at all costs. This is a new marriage. Do you understand? The church as the bride of Christ. And the problem with us is that we're a terrible bride. We're every bit as scandalous, every bit as deceptive as the serpent, as Eve, as anybody else. But the difference for us is that we have a better groom. Christ is not Adam. He does protect us at all costs. He's capable. Christ fights the enemy for us. <laughs> he kills the enemy for us. Takes him triumphantly. And he gives us the tree of life, not the tree of death. The whole Bible story is the story of God's love for us. We are made by love. God is love and for love. And love is being redeemed through Christ. And this is not just about marriage. I'm not married. This is about me as a man owning my godly masculinity, serving and protecting the world around me, cultivating the world around me, providing shade for the women in my life, providing shade for the people in my life. It's about you, whether you're married or not, as a woman being a life giver, one who represents God, who worships God, who along with the men in your life doesn't see yourself at war, but sees yourself in partnership complimenting each other. It is assuredly about husband and wife, but it's more than just that. So to close today, I wanna to ask you to do several things. Embrace the way that you are designed by God, man or woman. Make peace with the fact that you are man or woman and you are that for all eternity down to the very depths of your soul. You are a male or female Believe that Jesus is the redeemer of our gender. Look to him. Embrace the work of sanctification. It is long. It's not fast. It's a lifetime. And most importantly, men and women in the room, men particularly, listen to me now, repent of, this is such a buzzword, I hate even saying it, but it applies in this specific case. Repent of toxic masculinity. Repent of fake masculinity, where you just are a caricature of something. A real man is a cultivator, is a servant. It's one who does the work of protecting and laying down his life. Repent of toxic and fake masculinity. Uh, women in the room, repent, and maybe some men too, Repent of radical feminism. Repent of reactionary feminism. Let's repent together. We have work to do and you have work to do. Let's come under God who created all things for his glory and in his image, us. You're loved by God today. 
No matter how you've lived, no matter how you believed or struggled, God looks on you with love. No matter what you secretly struggle with, he has brought you here. He loves you. It's not by coincidence that you showed up today. Let's stand together.